Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR podcast. I hope everyone is doing very well. I uh this is ex- episode <laughs> episode episode number 41. I'm going to do a bit of a solo pod today. Um I'm going to do a bit of a kind of a recap or roundup of our US tour, the mini US tour that we were on and then I'm going to answer a couple of questions as well along the way. So, um I'll read out a couple of the questions or I'll give you an idea of the questions. So, one is uh, can you explain your thought process around restoring and mobility in clients when you first start working with them? I can. I will dig into that a little bit uh, or maybe a lot. Uh, I think that's a good question. And then two, uh, how do you figure out how quickly or slowly you can progress someone in the rehab processes, especially if there hasn't been an acute injury? Okay, so there's the two questions. Before that, I'm going to kind of bring you up to date as to where we are because i know you're sitting on the edge of your seat as a podcast listener you've been waiting for me to to do that so firstly i apologize for uh leaving you and leaving you guys in the lurch and not uh doing a podcast i actually had an intention while we were while we were in the states to to do to record a podcast i didn't bring any I didn't bring any podcast equipment, but I was going to use like an ear pod or an AirPod or whatever you call it, or like my phone or something, but just wasn't in the right headspace when I was over there in terms of, I just, I was just focused on other things and I needed to, um, to focus on that. So since I got back, we're back, uh, just about a week now. I've had like a fear every day of like, today is the day I'll record the podcast. And I'm sure once I get into the run of things, I'll be good, but. Until we get there, uh, let's see how we go. So I suppose I'll round up the US tour. So we were gone for about two and a half weeks. We It felt like about six and a half weeks, to be honest. It felt like a very long time, maybe because we kind of fit in or did did so much in that time. So we flew out of Ireland. Or we, we arrived at Dublin Airport and we were sitting at our gate. We were there a few hours early because Dublin Airport has been a bit of a mess all summer with regards to queues and stuff. But we were fine. We went through. Next thing I heard some guy saying to his daughter beside us that the flight was cancelled um, and they were just telling business class people first. So I went up to the gate and they said, yeah, the flight is cancelled and here's your options. Right. So we gave, they gave us four options for four other, four other flights later on that day. So we sat down Um we we got a we got a we got a flight for four hours later. Um and then Kira said to me, Should we fly business class? I said, Okay, go up and check the price. And she went up and checked the price. It wasn't that expensive relative to what it would usually be. And so we decided to fly business class for the first time ever. The reason I tell you this story is not to not to sound like a dick that uh we paid for business class or something like that, but that was the the minute Kira came back from the guy and said, "Okay, I bought the tickets." Was the minute I decided that I um or the minute I said, "Okay, go up and like buy them if they're whatever price." Was the minute I decided, "Okay, I'm going to release an Achilles program." So, first lesson from the tour was money is a big is a big motivator, and I actually heard a business coach say, talking about this before, where he was like, "Okay, I want to put a sw-. he decided his kids wanted a swimming pool in his back garden." So he went and just sold a course like the following week. He just made a course. He, he, he'd been thinking about doing it for a while and he just, that was the decision. He was like, okay, I need to earn this money to pay for that. So 
I know everyone does that. Like, okay, I, I work so I can buy stuff, but this is like, okay, it pushes you. It pushes, it pushes you forward a little bit more or makes you, it just, it just lights a fire up your ass. So that's what I did that day. Decided that. So hopefully we're going to release a program, an Achilles specific program. Our first program that is super spe- spe- specific, lower body basics and stuff is more general, which is like, no matter who you are, this is where I, if you have a lower body issue, this is where I would start. The Achilles is like, I would still probably get people to start there with the Achilles issue, but because then they just come to me and I have to make sure that they're not good at all this stuff. They need to do it anyway. But, um, that's the, that's the day I decided the Achilles program was even before we left. So we landed in New York and, um, the only work thing I had to do there was a podcast there. So hopefully you heard that podcast with Alina. You should listen to it. Posture Rest- Restoration Institute is what the podcast is called. My podcast, by the way, not their podcast. So Alina Canner on PRI. Um, and we just went through all that. And actually, it was really good. And actually, the, po- the podcast, to be able to walk into a podcast studio, Kira had it all organized. There was a sound guy there. I started off a bit slow because I was quite nervous. Um no, I wasn't quite nervous. It was just my first in-person podcast. So like I had Alina sitting there in front of me and I don't know, like it was like, okay, I need to read my, read a little note or something, or I like need to make sure I'm making eye contact with you as you're speaking. But also there's a sound technician there and stuff like that. And I thought, I thought I wouldn't be able to relax because he was sitting there. But actually after a few minutes, I kind of forgot that he was there. So, um, I, I found that quite good kind of a deep dive into PRI. A lot of people have a lot of criticisms around PRI. And to be honest, like I do too, but I think in a, in, but I've also learned a lot from them. So I think in a debate, it's important to be able to see both sides and we didn't get into a debate or anything. We just chatted about kind of what we've learned from taking several different courses from them. And I could definitely take a very different view to, to, to PRI or like a, a very critical view, but I also wanted to make sure I was like, okay, here's, here's the things I learned. Here's the things that like giving credit for all this, for all this cool stuff, even if I don't use it in the way it was intended. So that was the podcast. Really enjoyed it. And, um, Alina is absolutely amazing as well. So from there, we went to San Francisco and then we went to, uh, San Jose to teach a workshop with the guys at PMPT, perfect progressive motion physical therapy. So we trained all their, their staff, um, lower limb biomechanics or lower limb biomechanics rehab and performance workshop so basically how to take someone from kind of like the first session they're really struggling with whatever and then all the way up to all the way up to like fully back to running and back to performance return to play if it was if it was uh an athlete or something like that and they do work with a lot of um like joey only the other day i think tagged me actually i must i must like and comment on that post but he he tagged me um working with i think one of his nfl players or something and using a lot of the stuff so that was really cool to see so those guys were amazing there like and and that was a very easy workshop for me to run because they're all one team they all have kind of they all know each other already and it was just I had to just kind of build a rapport with them as a team, obviously individually as well, but I didn't have to think about, okay, they need to build rapport with each other as well. So they all knew each other already. So that was, that was easy peasy for me. Had a great time. They have a lovely setup there and, um, met loads of good people. And hopefully we'll be back there with them next year to straight away. They were asking about an upper limb and a kind of a core and upper limb workshop. So 
Uh, that could be maybe my first core and upper limb workshop for next year. But to be honest, and I was already thinking about this, I had this conversation with someone, I think, already. That I would consider the lower limb like a prerequisite for the upper limb. So it's not that like you couldn't come to an upper limb workshop first, but the key principles are in the lower limb one. And when you understand them, the upper limb stuff becomes way easier because you understand how we deal with ground reaction forces and the strategies that our body finds to deal with ground reaction forces and gravity. So lower limb deals with that and we get them across and then upper limb builds on that. But obviously, obviously we still have to create force. It's just not against the ground necessarily. So we still understand how we apply, we, 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 we sequence our body and we apply force and all of this stuff with the upper limb but we just don't have to deal with the ground so where we might the ground might be in the form of it might be in the form of the ground or it might be in the form of someone else's body if i need to push them away depending on the athlete that you're talking about or the person that you're talking about so um i've gone off on a little bit of a tangent there but i really think the lower limb is a prerequisite close to a prerequisite for the upper limb and stuff so that's how i'm gonna Make sure I teach people in that way. And I also saw, saw someone else teaching a workshop recently. Um, or I just, I just saw that they are teaching a workshop, a, a biomechanics type of workshop and they deal with lower limb and upper limb in the one workshop. And I, I don't know how they do it because in two days, I still don't have enough time to teach the lower limb one. It just. I, I don't, I, I don't have every, I don't, I don't have everything. I don't, I, I can't cover everything. I, I cover the like key principles, the key skills that we're teaching people. And I give them my progression from like start to finish. But then there's always like, but if it's this type of person, here's all the things that I would do. And this type of person, here's all the things that I would do. And I don't, I didn't get enough time to go into that. But that's like, the, that's probably like, an extra 10 or 15% in the lower limb stuff that that I would cover if I had the time, but we'll get into the real meat and potatoes, which is the key skills that you're going to teach pretty much every single client that you meet, regardless of obviously if it's rehab or performance. So that was um that was the guys there. They also brought us out for sushi on the Sunday night. Changed my life. Like I eat sushi a lot in Ireland and it's just it's not very good. Um, but over there, phenomenal. So that was that was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll be back with those guys next year. And it's great to see, like, it's great not to see. It's great for me to, to get that feedback where it's like, this was brilliant. Everyone enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting them. I enjoyed connecting with them. Really cool people. And also like, when will you be back? This kind of thing. So when people are asking that, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a success. So from there, we went to Orlando, went to a couple of team parks, Harry Potter world. What I learned in Harry Potter world is, J.K. Rowling is an absolute genius. And I already knew that because Harry Potter are my favorite books. But like they have a whole world there. You step into that world and like everyone's wearing cloaks. Everyone's buying wands. I would say they sell about, I don't know, thousands of wands a day to people which are like a plastic stick. And they're not cheap. They're like $50 for a wand. And people are drinking the butter beer there and all of these things. And I was just like, wow, like 
what she's created there. Imagine being her stepping into that world, walking in there and seeing you're actually, there's the castle over there. There's Hogsmeade. There's Diagon Alley. There's the wand shop. There's all these, um, the sweet shop with all the sweets that she wrote about. It's, it's unbelievable. So she brought all that to life. And I've been thinking about that quite a bit. Like when you bring some, when you bring people into your world, all the different things that maybe you can sell them. I'm not saying you have to sell them all these things, but like you can solve a lot of people's needs when you bring them into your world. You just maybe need to bring them into your world first. And then one thing might come to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. So I don't know how much I want to elaborate on that idea right now, but I think all I'll say there is I will elaborate on that at some stage, but all I'll say there is like, people are focused on bringing out products first or like I need the best product to release to people and then they'll come into my world. I would say you need to create a world first where people come in, they're really interested and then the world is your oyster in terms of, okay, all these people are interested in this thing. What what can I think of? Like what are their wants? What are these types of people's wants and needs? And then what can I provide for them? So the the world comes first and the products and the services that you provide to them come after that. That's certainly how things are changing. In the past, it was a business, creates a product, people come in, and then you learn more about the brand and then you 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 like the brand as you go. Now with social media, the brand is created and then and then if you think of influencers, the brand is created and then the products are sold secondary to that. So I'll elaborate on that at some stage. But for me, that really struck me with Harry Potter World. It was like now they're selling every single thing that you can imagine under the sun. And ethically, like people want this stuff. They love this stuff. So that was um that was a big lesson there. And that you can <laughs> that's like my business brain, like ticking over as i'm there so it's not that i can't enjoy all the stuff like when i'm on hagrid's ride and stuff it's the best it's the best thing I ever have at the time of my life but also my business brain can't not see that stuff so um so that's what i noticed there then we went to jeff's place flexi bowl in clearwater i was nervous about that workshop because a little bit of imposter syndrome syndrome set in where not really, like not in the true sense of the world, but I knew there was some smart, smart, smart people there, probably way smarter than I am. And I was like, oh, shit, now do I need to get into conversations around stuff that I don't necessarily want to get into, but I might need to get into it because they'll be asking a certain level of question. And then will that lose some other people in the group? Not because they're not smart, but just because maybe they haven't been exposed to some of these ideas. And maybe that happened a little bit. Uh, but I don't think so. I think for the most part, that might have happened like 1% where people were like, oh, I'm not really sure exactly what they're talking about there. But I would say for 99% of it, everyone was following along at the same, probably close to the same pace. And that's the way I tried to structure it. And I think when I saw those guys actually taking notes early on, that was a big, that was a big like confidence booster for me because it was like, okay, they probably do know a lot of this stuff, but they haven't heard it explained the way I explain it and it, as clear as I explain it. And I think some, I think some light bulbs went off for them as well, where it's like, okay, this is how like the gate stuff should be explained and structured, not should be, but could be explained and structured. And this is how we build the skills and this is how we coach movement and all of these things off the back of knowing them principles. So, um, so. I appreciate like 
I appreciated those that the all the people in the room were there to learn. It wasn't like they're coming to be. It's not like you're at a conference and someone's going to like throw a cabbage at you or something like that. They paid hard earned money, decent bit of money. They've traveled. They're there to learn. They're not there to drag you down. So um, that was that was beneficial for me. And ultimately, I'm very confident in what I'm teaching. I'm not teaching things that I don't. If someone like asks me to to dig into that a little bit more, whatever I'm talking about. I can dig into it more. And if someone questions where I came out, where, where that idea came from and like different things like that, I can, I can go there as well. I've, I've set the workshop in, up in a certain way to teach what I think needs, absolutely needs. People need to learn people, movement people. I think they absolutely should learn this stuff 100%. And then I can, if, if people want to veer off track a little bit, I can go there because it's 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 important to to go there but the workshop is designed in a way where it's like this is how i really think this is this is what i think you should learn these are the skills you need to teach your clients and so on also i had a little conundrum in terms of with pmpt with the pmpt guys they're all physical therapists with the with the with this workshop in jeff's place it's a mix so it's coaches physios um and all, all like kind of all different coaches and all different types of clinicians. So it's like, okay, I'm approach kind of approaching this, this workshop with a rehabilitation point of view. But how do I get the point across that all this stuff is still applicable to all your, if you're a, just a coach or a performance trainer, like how do I get this across? That this is still applicable to you. It's just that you might program it a little bit different. It's not necessarily as much step by step, but it is still step by step it, because what, what I landed on was and what I've talked about for a long time is rehab is skill development and basically movement is just skill development. So I just taught the workshop in terms of layering skills on top of each other. So layering one skill to the next skill to the next skill to the next skill that brings us along the way. So even if someone is operating and they're a healthy athlete or they're a healthy client and they're performing, I always say athlete, but it doesn't, it, it, again, this is another example. It doesn't matter. You just look at how good they are at the skill in front of you. And then you say, do I need to train that more or do I need to prioritize some of these other skills instead? If you need to train it more, you train it more. Here's how you do that. If you need to, if if they're pretty good at that, and you need to do some focus on some of the other skills, here's how you focus on them. So the workshop is about skill development, layering skills on top of each other, and then the, why the skills are important goes back to the gate and the biomechanics stuff. So here's the skills someone needs to do to be successful to successfully transition through the gate cycle. Here's the couple of key concepts. Ex- compression and expansion which i break down into certain movements so actually i'll start that again here's a couple of key concepts compression and expansion here's the movements that that breaks down into here's how that breaks down into the gate cycle here's how the gate gate cycle breaks down into skills that uh, someone needs to learn to be able to transition through the gate cycle again and here's where we want to like here's where a hinge actually fits into that and here's how I train the hinge. And then here's how I progress the hinge. And here's how the hinge actually improves how someone um, operates at a certain part of the gate cycle. And then a squat maybe improves how they operate in a different part of the gate cycle. And then here's how they, here's which one you might want to do first with someone. And then here's the movements that a squat, a hinge is going to open up internal rotation. Um, here's why someone might be lacking internal rotation, which goes back to their assessment. And here's why 
here's when they need that internal rotation, which goes back to the gate stuff. And then here's the full body, full body view of internal rotation, which is compression. Okay. So there's the layers, layers of all the stuff that we go through. And it really only makes sense as the workshop goes up. Not that it only makes sense, but it makes more sense as the workshop goes on because people start to understand, okay, in the assessment, we saw this. Then as we go and train the skills that we're looking for, we're, we're training this with that person that we saw and it just starts to make sense. So the theory stuff can be tricky in the beginning, even though I keep it very very simple but as we work on the movements the theory makes more sense this is what i think most people who teach this kind of stuff actually miss they not they're not good even if they have like all the not all the same movements some of them that that i coach they they won't have all the same movements but like some of the same movements they don't coach it well and they don't actually really deeply explain how it relates to this stuff and how to progress this stuff okay so um so that's how i kind of solved that problem in terms of okay we're coaching we're working with different types of people it's just like our different types of coaches and therapists it doesn't matter it's just skill development here's the skills that your clients need to learn to be successful in my opinion okay so that workshop went really well jeff did a great job great beautiful gym there really nice area we had teas and coffees lunch uh day each day for people we went out for a few drinks on the saturday night and the sunday night and um like i didn't sleep i didn't get that much sleep on the saturday night we weren't late but it was like probably 12 o'clock or maybe even later that our sleep was a bit messed up anyway but we like i'm just on a high when i'm teaching i i was i was born to teach and i don't i before you roll your eyes i don't mean that in an arrogant way as in like i'm amazing at teaching i'll leave i'll leave people decide whether i'm good or bad at teaching but what i mean is just like the amount of energy that i get from teaching i've only ever got that kind of energy and that feeling from one other thing which was playing sport basically like gaelic football and hardly competitive sport so where it's just like i'm lost in the moment and i am i will do i i could do this for hours and hours and hours and that's like I can remember being a kid and just playing football out in the garden and you could be out there till you're dark and you just don't want to stop. And teaching is the same way for me. It didn't matter that like if I had a few beers another day, if it was another day and I had that much or a few beers like that and a couple of whiskeys as well, Jeff, um, and I didn't get as much sleep like I would have been, I would have been wrecked the following day and not been able to get out of bed even. But Sunday, ready to rock, fresh as a daisy, up I get. And I could just teach all day, didn't have breakfast, just off I go, coffee, didn't even, I didn't even necessarily want to stop for lunch, even though the food was in and people were looking behind him, uh, thinking, when is this guy going to shut up? But I could have kept going. So I just get so much energy for it. That's what I mean when I say I was born to teach. I just, I just love it, to be honest. It's really, um, it's really energizing to me. And also I was unsure whether we would go and do the in-person workshop thing um, because online stuff is more profitable. Like I can just sit here and it doesn't cost money, really much money to run online courses. And in some ways, the online stuff is better because instead of maybe just an intense weekend of work, you can get eight weeks in a row or, you know, you get time with the videos and stuff like that. That's what the membership side is for, to be honest. But in person, like there's something different. It just tastes a bit different when you get to meet people and see them and, and put your hands on them and coach and they all meet each other and all stuff like that. So what people are buying with when they come to a workshop like that is they're buying speed and they're buying your experience. They're buying speed as in 
They're just saying, tell, teach me all the things that you know about this topic in this one weekend and show me basically by virtue of that, you're showing me the mistakes that you made. And, and here's, here's the things that here's the mistakes that I think you should, you will avoid hopefully by learning how to do this stuff instead. So that's what people are buying and people, people need to understand the value of that. I hopefully understand the value of that over the years by going to workshops. You're buying speed. You're basically saying, Okay, show me, show me what you know and show me in this full weekend. So I thought that was amazing. And then you're buying experience, which comes along with that. And you're buying the experience and the energy of being in the room with people who are like you are, are maybe a little bit ahead of you or maybe a little bit behind you or at the same level as you. You're meeting all these different people and you're getting inspired and you're getting that energy, which very hard to get online or get elsewhere. So. Um, that was really, really good. What else will I say there? The one thing I was, one, one other thing. So yeah, so I'm happy. I, I'm happy I did the workshops and like, we'll, we'll definitely do more. We'll try and do a couple in Australia. We'll try and do maybe a couple in Ireland next year. And then we'll try and go back to the States. We've had probably between five and 10, uh, people who are, have asked us to, to come to their, their area for for next year and maybe they'll host us so again if you're someone in europe as well i would like to do more in europe definitely so if you're someone who's interested in that let us know hopefully i'm not boring you with this stuff but i was at uh i also read jordan peterson some of his book last night and he said talking is a way to he was he was saying about like working with his working in clinic um, as a psychologist with some of his clients, uh, how important it is for them to talk like their, their brain is actually processing. They're not talking necessarily so he can talk back to them and give them the answer. It's actually their brain is processing the information as he talks, as they talk and how important talking is because they're just inside our own head. Our thoughts are so muddled. I've spoken about this before as well, by the way, with people who I'm like, explain something on Instagram, explain something on a podcast. Even if you don't want to do that, pretend you just read something. You just watched something on my membership site, walk around the house a few times and speak it as if you are explaining it now to someone else. I bet you you'll, you'll figure out what you actually understand about it and what you don't understand about it. And as you speak it, you will actually, things will dawn on you about it. It's like, oh, I actually, I didn't realize I knew that. But now that I said it, I realize I actually do know that. And I've put it in a coherent way. So, um, yeah. So what was his quote? Uh, Talking helps us remember and forget or something like that, which I thought was a good thing. For it, it, get, it processes information, gets the model crap that we don't need to remember out of our head. And it also helps us retain information, but also, um, put it into like uh put it put a bit of order on that information so um yeah so one other thing i was afraid of like a few years ago with the when i started releasing information online and i'll I'll kind of walk through this was first when i and i think this is a very important problem that a lot of people have and i want you to pay attention here so if you're falling asleep come back um so first, when I was post- posting information on Instagram, I was afraid that, okay, I'm putting up a post here. People won't buy something when I release something because I'm putting up free information. So that was the first thing. Then when I released Lower Body Basics, I was like, okay, I'm going to release Lower Body Basics, try and make some money off it. But I know that people won't buy more stuff off me in the future because they're getting this thing already. Then when I release more programs, 
people bought them as well. And I was like, okay, this is kind of the end of it now. So this is like, now, now they can get the upper body basics. Now they can get core basics, lower body basics too. So like, okay, they've kind of, they've kind of gotten all this stuff. Now they won't want to get more stuff. Then when I released the membership, people are jump on at 600 and something coaches and therapists. And I was like, they won't want the membership. I, I know some people will, but it's like, okay, they want more information now. But like, once I release this, they won't want more. Then when I do the workshop, actually, it even started before the Body Basics, the, the webinars that they did, if you remember, if you were one of the people that came to them. So um, they all, actually, you can watch one of them on, on DJ Interactive. By the way, um, it was selling for 77 euro. Sorry, I have a sneeze coming. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the, uh, how to attract, assess, and how to attract, assess, and treat, successfully track how to successfully attract, treat, attract, assess, and treat online clients. So that was my first product that I sold online, apart from obviously one-to-one coaching with me. And um, that's actually available on the DJR Interactive uh, platform now, which you can watch. I think 300, 300 and something coaches did it at the time, paid 77 euro, and it actually kickstarted a lot of their careers in terms of online, um, how they started posting stuff online and, and working with clients and stuff like that. So that's uh, that's available there. If you haven't watched that, that's what you should do. Obviously, some of the information is outdated because it's like three years old now. But in terms of the principles, they're still the same. And actually, there's some nice movement stuff in there as well. Um, so yeah, the workshops. Then people came to the workshop and I was like, okay, like this, these workshops could take from the course or the mentorship type of content that I will do in the future. But like in P- with PMPT and with in Jeff's place with all the people that were there, the first question that pretty much everyone asked me when the workshop was over, like either as a group they asked me or one to one was, when are you doing the next thing? When are you doing the next one? When are you doing like a level two lower body one? When are you doing the upper body one? And when are you doing the mentorship? That was like, so every, every, pretty much every single person asked me that question. So I'm like, okay, it just seems that as long as you're giving people value, they will just they will just want more stuff from you because they understand that I, I think hopefully for me and for lots of other people listening, your clients or whatever, whatever you sell or whatever it is, if you're giving people value, they actually want to keep like they want to keep connected. They want to stay in your world. Like I said before, like the, your world that you've created, they want to stay part of that because they're getting that value. They're getting that energy. And I know that sounds obvious, but yet there's yet there's thousands of people are People that I talk to all the time who are saying, Oh, I don't want to put up free content on Instagram because people like people will steal the free content or people won't buy something when, when I put it out there. It's, it's that still creeps in that thought process on me, but it's bullshit. It's just like they will. Yeah. The odd person, 1% or 2% will try and take it and, and not progress on, but they're just, they're just kind of robbing themselves in a way where it's like, Actually, there's so much more value you could get here if you just kept engaging with the material and went a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. So just get rid of that mindset around giving free content on Instagram or on social media. Just just put it up there. I promise you um, it will come back to you tenfold and people won't. They don't they want to give you money. They want to they want that reciprocity. They want to return the favor. And then honestly, they want to go deeper and deeper and deeper if you have that. If you have uh, more and more value to offer, they will be there for you. So that was kind of the the workshop. I don't think there was 
too much else that I wanted to talk about there. Um, I had a couple of notes written down. Yeah, one other thing I will say on that is, hopefully I'm not rambling. Maybe no one is listening anymore, but screw it. Um, it's helping me remember and forget. So I think one thing that I kind of scribbled down was like you you kind of attract what you are, I think. So in the rooms, like with Joey and Josh with PMPT and all their physical therapists, like such good, cool people. And then in the room in Jeff's gym, like... And we went out for a drink that night with, with a lot of people came out and it was just, there's just really cool people that went out. I won't name the people or anything like that. Just really cool people that they passed the beer test. The beer test is like, would I go for a drink with it, with this person? And the answer for like most of them, actually all of them, to be honest, was absolutely I would. And part of that is the, like the reason I think we've attracted them types of people is one, what I just spoke about, like giving people value. Two is like, there's actually a price on the workshop, which is you're not going to come if you if you're not really interested in this stuff. You're just not going to come. So if you are interested in it and you're willing to part with some hard earned money and like I think the workshop is way more valuable than the price. But like it's still there's still a there's still a I don't know what the phrase is. There's still like something that you have to put forward there. So you're not going to, you're not going to do that if you don't really value it. And if you, and you're also not going to be a, a bit of a dick if you've paid that money and probably taken, taken a full weekend to come. And a lot of people flew from all over the world and traveled hours and hours and hours. So like they were bought in and they were going to be hopefully nice people. The reason they're hopefully nice people is. I think I try to be a nice person if I can. And I think you attract what you are. So the point of this is. You can be a dickhead online and like you can definitely make some money. There's lots of examples of that. But what you're ultimately what you're going to do is just attract a load of other dickheads as well. And I don't mean this as in like, I don't mean don't be controversial online. Like there's like you can be controversial. You can if you want to do like the calling people out or clickbaity posts or whatever. I honestly, that's fine. I, I don't have an issue with that if that's someone's marketing strategy whatsoever. Um, so a lot of the controversial things are actually a good thing where it's like, you're actually not, you're not standing up. You're not allowing people to just post bullshit all the time. You're actually saying like, and I, I do that as well. I'm saying like, I do not agree with what this person is saying for these reasons, but overall your persona should still be like, I'm not actually a dickhead. Um, and if you are a dickhead, again, you can make a lot of money, but if you actually want to ultimately connect with people, I guarantee you, if you run a workshop and you're a dickhead, a lot of dickheads are going to come to the workshop. So luckily we didn't have any people like that, that I was aware of, to be honest. And, um, I was really just got so much energy from meeting all the people that came. So thank you to everyone who came and hopefully other people who didn't come for whatever reason, like it's not in your area or not the right time or something. Hopefully we'll see you at an event um, maybe next year. So let's answer a couple of these questions before I derail completely. So the first one, can you explain your thought process around restoring mobility in clients when you start working with them? Okay. Uh, there's a million ways I could go about this question um, because like you could get into the nitty gritty of it, but Let's let's keep it like baseline principle related, right? So and this does relate to some of the workshop stuff as well that I spoke about, but or that I that I did in the workshop. So thought process around restoring mobility. Okay, so why is mobility taken from us? Let's say why is someone a bit tight? 
why is someone why is someone's shoulder a bit tight why is someone's hip a bit tight their foot any one of those areas are like globally why are they just really tight everywhere firstly what i will say is the first thing you should just think about is as a whole are they moving enough so don't think about any of the joints in general but just like are they just not moving enough if they don't if they're not are a lot at all or sitting down all day long if they're not moving enough they probably don't have movement available because they don't move so that's one thing i wouldn't think about their body has just learned to tighten up because it just doesn't need to move the movement. Um, it just doesn't need movement because it's not at being asked to move. So my thought process around restoring mobility for those type of clients is just get them to move more. Can you go for a walk? Can you go for a run? Can you go for a swim? Can you play with your kids? Is there a sport you're interested in? Whatever. Can you crawl around? Can you roll around on the floor like a floppy fish? For those, for, for those people, like movement is what they need and it doesn't need to be super specific. And they will get what they want from that a lot of the time. Now, what I will say, a caveat to that is some of those people who don't move enough stopped moving a lot because they had issues and restrictions in their body in the first place. And they, they restricted their movement because that, like, because their hip was sore every time they moved, they stopped moving. So that is, might be a combination of, okay, I need to clean up your hip and I need to just make sure you're moving more throughout the day. Okay. So a combination of those things. Now we'll talk about the, other types of people who are moving close to enough, like most people probably could move more, but like, it's not like, okay, you're doing 500 steps a day and you just never move your spine. Um, it's just like, you're actually moving, but you're just tight in certain areas or everywhere. So for those people, what you want to think about, and it's surprising that people don't actually think about it necessarily this way. What you're trying to clean up or change is the concentric orientation and the limiting musculature. So there's muscles that are tight and you need to change that. Mostly you need to change that, not necessarily by stretching them or anything, but you're changing the joint and the bone position. So certain muscles are gripping and not letting go because of movement strategies that you have developed from over the years. This is how your body has learned to move. And this is how it has learned to, to fight gravity and fight ground reaction forces by tightening up these muscles. So you need to reduce that concentric orientation by by uh, most of the time sometimes it can be just like by just moving that body part more but most of the time it's actually like reorganizing the skeleton a little bit which doesn't sound great i'm not talking about necessarily posture but like just changing how you actually bear bear load and and move through the world and move through the gate cycle that's 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 the biggest thing the easiest way to reduce concentric orientation is to put people on the floor because it takes gravity out of it for, for the most part, like, and the, the muscles that are squeezing and holding and very concentric to hold you up in space, they don't need to do that necessarily when you lie on the floor. Now, for people who are very tight, they will still be doing that. They actually won't even, when they lie on the floor, they'll lie with the same massive amount of tension in their body as when they stand up or when they do an exercise. So, 
their body has like really learned to hold on to their muscles, even when it just doesn't need it. You should be just a pile of bones, really, when you're on the floor. So for them, then like coaching comes in more so and choosing the right position. But for for the most part, you're going to put people if they're very tight, like not not that you need to, but a nice place to start them is on the floor so that you can relax them. You can relax the head, their spine, all this stuff and just get movement into certain areas and change joint position and give their you're working on very sensory things okay that's what i would say you're going to start to work on improving relative motion with without that not without that definitely without that concentric orientation of the musculature but here's where it came in in the workshops where I think people were going wrong in the workshops when we started to coach. So it's the first bit of movement that we do is, do we do the floor-based work first or the assessments first? I would count assessments as like movement stuff, but let's say the floor-based work. I try to get past that as quickly as I can so that we can get people up into standing. Uh, I don't want to say as quickly as I can because I'm not trying to rush past it. I'm trying to make sure that the things we do, we do really well. And here's what I noticed when people were coaching that stuff to each other. Or like their thought process in general was, okay, I want to change how you rest, what your ribs are doing, what your pelvis is doing, what your foot is doing, and so on. I'm going to use more concentric. I'm going to, I'm going to make something that, so you have low, a lower back, let's say lower back muscles that are very concentric. And I'm just going to like, I'm just going to. I'm just going to squeeze the front of your body to change that. So people fight concentric with concentric. And I've talked about this for a long time. I don't think that's necessarily the best strategy, fighting concentric with concentric. So basically, for example, you might be in uh, a lot of anterior pelvic tilt. I'm not saying it's good or bad, so don't call me out on it. I'm just saying you might be in a lot of anterior pelvic tilt. The therapist deems, okay, I would like to change that. So what I'm going to do is like really squeeze your abs and suck in. and now. Like I might, I might take you out of the anterior pelvic tilt, quote unquote, but I'm just adding on way more concentric muscle activity somewhere else. So yes, it can be a good option to change the strategy. And actually a lot of people can like, they, they will tell you, Oh yeah, I feel different. I'm not as, I'm not as in pain now, but all you've done is just like given them, given them another bracing strategy in another area. And to be honest, what I see a lot of the time is that doesn't even change the concentric orientation in like, let's say the lower back, the erectors. All it does is squeeze someone from front to back. So like they had very tight back. Now they suck in or they squeeze their abs. Now they have a very tight front and it just feels, it might feel better for a short period of time because it's different to what they usually are, but now they just can't move anywhere. They're just being squeezed everywhere. So for me, and that's, that's just a common theme, like lower back. Okay. What have people been told over the years? Okay. You just need to do loads of planks and, and suck in and get your TVA on. Maybe you need to get your TVA working more or your abs working more, but not by like just fighting tension with tension. Maybe you just need to get your bones to move in a different way, your pelvis to move side to side, up and down, your ribs to change or move in all different directions, that type of thing. So the key, I suppose the key thought process or the key principle around that is sounds so simple is reduce the concentric orientation in in where where you need to where it's limited not by adding more concentric but by helping people relax more i think that's the most simple way and that doesn't have to be done on the ground but the ground is typically the easiest place to start that journey because it takes gravity out of it you can lie someone in a position where they're just like a stack of bones and the muscles can chill and then that's why you see people 
and me included, like using some breathing exercises, because what you're starting to do is actually the muscles that were squeezing and blocking movement in the thorax and the pelvis. Now they've relaxed and now we go through full breath cycles that gets the ribs moving towards each other and away from each other. It's getting like a little oscillation around the pelvis and um we start to change joint position that way. If you haven't done that work and you don't understand it, it sounds funny. And it's like, why would that change the mobility in my hip? You just don't understand necessarily yet. I don't mean you don't understand. You just haven't been exposed to some of that work and seeing how, and you don't, you don't have a thought process that helps you understand how like changing something somewhere will change something everywhere. Um, so that's what I would say. Then when you get, get up, here's another example. Like someone wants to improve their ankle mobility. And they will say, okay, I have very tight calves. So I'm going to do like no loads of knee to wall or dorsiflexion drills. And I just really tense up the front of my ankle to pull my knee forward. All I'm doing is fighting concentric with concentric. So my calves are concentric. They won't let go. Now I, now I tense the tibialis anterior, all the muscles, all the extensors at the, on the top of the foot and the front of the ankle. I'm trying to drive my shin forward as far as I can. And I'm moving in and out of there or I'm holding it. I'm just fighting concentric with concentric. A much better way is relax your muscles, let your shin drop forward, move forward and back. And actually you'll actually, you'll actually teach the muscles to go eccentric isometric concentric it will move in and out the bone is moving the bone movement is what increases the the relative movement between the bones is what increases joint motion so when you go back and measure now you have more joint motion because you've set the bones free rather than just using another muscle to squeeze which is compressing you even more and actually um, and actually now you just have muscles that are squeezing all around the bone and all around the joint but like it might feel better for a short term, short term or a short amount of time because you've changed the feeling, the sense you have changed some sensory stuff and you have changed activation around the joint. Uh, but you actually haven't incre- improved the relative motion. You've actually, if you're being honest with yourself and you measured honestly doing that fighting concentric with concentric and you remeasured someone, they, they would measure with less mobility than they had before. Okay. So. That's, that's that, or at least that's some of that answer. Um, if you wanted me to be more specific than that, then a more specific question would be good, but that was a good question. So thank you. Um, next one. How do you figure out how quickly or slowly you can progress someone in the rehab process? Um, especially if there hasn't been an acute injury. So I'm happy you put in that last bit, especially if there hasn't been an acute injury, because if it was acute, like if there was a hamstring tear, like, or an ACL, you, you, you obviously have to respect tissue te- tissue healing times, not tealing times, um, tissue healing times. So like you have, have to have some respect for that. But even with that, like a hamstring tear or something like that, I'm quite aggressive where I will, I will get it, I will get it loading, um, early and often if I can, even if it's just like hundreds of body weight, uh, heel to butts every day. If it's a hamstring pull or tear or something like that, or thousands, maybe. Um, I've done that in the past with my Achilles where it was like thousands. Uh, that wasn't necessarily an acute in- injury, but, um, slightly acute that time actually where I just went in- into my room and did like thousands of reps because I had to be, I had to be right for a big game uh, a few days later. So it was just like thousands, thousands of reps of the pronation, the way I teach it. And actually that was a big part that helped me, that helped me actually learn how to do the pronation exercise the way I teach it now, which changes how the heel moves, which changes how the Achilles actually loads. So, um, so especially if there hasn't been an acute injury. So how do you figure out how quickly 
or slowly you can progress someone in the rehab process. This goes back to obviously pain is a factor there, right? So someone has chronic pain for a while. Um, then you have to respect that. But for me, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the layering of skills. And actually, I got a really good look at this in the workshops over the weekend because when we when we teach a lower limb rehab work and biomechanics and performance workshop, I'm actually the workshop is about taking someone from day one all the way back to very high level movement stuff. And then obviously everyone doesn't necessarily work with people who work it with high level movement people, uh, athletes and stuff like that. But so they just take their clients to a certain step in the process. So it's not like it's not like it's not applicable to them. You just do all the same things. And then instead of getting up to the highest level of plyometrics, you stop somewhere here or you just keep pushing them as far as you can push them. Um, so don't presume that they just won't make it there just because you don't feel like they're high level. Just have that actually understand how to get them there and then just see how it goes along the way. So it goes back to the layering of skills. And what I was saying, what I was saying there again, before I went on a ramble is if what what I noticed over the weekend is, so we're teaching all this stuff over a full weekend and the people who struggled with the skills that I teach at the start. So like transitioning from early stance to mid stance, staying in mid stance, how to pressurize the ground, how to change levels, how to get hip flexion without knee extension, how to get hip extension without knee extension. I did, I said, I said that right. By the way, I didn't say that wrong. Um, all these skills, how to preactivate, how to, um, how to, how to couple energy, all these skills. The people who struggle with the early skills struggled with the later on skills and i was like i noticed that in the room and again that sounds obvious but this is how you figure out how quickly to progress someone through the rehab process is like okay i understand the skills i want to teach them and i understand how one skill leads into the next skill leads into the next skill leads into the next skill and so i if someone hasn't nailed the skill or like gotten fairly competent at the first skill and then not all the skills lead on to each other but most of the most of them do some of them are are different obviously um but most of them kind of lead on to each other um which i think is a is a very good way of teaching it and that's just how i do it with my clients and then i after after a while of doing that with my clients i was like okay i'm what i'm actually doing is layering skills here um and this is a good way of teaching it so to to my clients and to coaches and therapists. So what I noticed with those people was that they can't they can't do the 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 stuff on day two. They can't do the harder movements or the more complex movements, even though like there's not much coaching involved at that stage. It's just because they don't know the midfoot. They don't know how to transition from early to middle. They don't know how to stay, how how to push from middle to max. They don't know how to move their shin. They don't know how to change levels. So like it was so obvious to me that there's a reason why I coach and progress people in this way is because if I just do it willy nilly and just say, okay, we've done this for a week now. Now we're going to move on because we've done this for some arbitrary amount of time or you've done some arbitrary amount of sets or reps or, okay, you've done four sessions. Let's just move on. We've done four sessions working on them two skills. Let's move on. It was obvious to me that like, there's a reason why I don't do that. It's because I need them to nail one skill so that we can move on to the next skill. Not that I need them to do it, but it just works way better if we do that. And the people in the workshop who couldn't do that struggled with the skills. And then the people who I saw that, that 
okay, for the first few skills, like that was easy peasy for them. I'm looking at the move. Like they, they can, they know this. They have the awareness. They have the coordination. They have the understanding. They have a bit of strength. They can do that. I, it wasn't a surprise to me to see that when we go into the, the yielding plyos, when we do a squat, when we teach them where we want to push, when we teach them where we want to reach or drop from or move from, they could do that stuff because they could do the lower level skills. And this might have been their first time learning some of the higher level skills, but they can move their body in that way. So they pick it up much quicker. The people who couldn't do the lower level skills. I don't even want to say lower level skills. That's, that's wrong. They're not lower level skills. They're all as important as each other, but they just lead on to, um, more dynamic movements, let's say. So the people who, who couldn't do the less dynamic movements well, um, it's because they don't know how to do that skill well. And then they couldn't do the, the more dynamic skills well then because they couldn't put that movement together. It's not to say that they weren't strong. Like some of those people were the strongest in the room. They were just missing access to certain skills. And so they struggled with that. So that's how I decide how someone, how quickly someone can progress in the rehab processes. How quickly are they picking up these skills? So like I have done, for example, now there's time constraints on you as well. So I have done with an athlete, a seven day rehab process where they needed to be back. They hurt their ankle or something like that. And they needed to be back for a game the following weekend because it's a tournament. It's a big game, biggest game of the year. They're going to play no matter what, because if they get injured again, it's not the end of the world because this is the biggest game of their career or something like that. So I've done a seven day rehab process with them or a four or five day where it's like day one, here's the skill we teach you. Day two, here's the skill. Day three, here's the skill. Day four, we're progressing all the way along and we're increasing as we increase the complexity of the skill, we're in- increasing the volume and the intensity of the movements as well and then by day seven we've gone through like that pretty much that full rehab process and got them back to uh at least a decent level to to play the sport that weekend now that person that athlete is coming from a much higher base a much higher level and athletes in general good athletes they pick up the skills quicker so you can Depending on the skills, some skills they'll find very, very difficult because their body is like moved in a certain direction that takes away that skill from them. But for the most part, they pick up skills a lot quicker. Actually, what I would say is they pick up skills a lot quicker all the time. It's just that sometimes they have concentric orientation in in musculature that's limiting them from accessing a skill, which is still a skill to let go of that awareness and letting go of that and getting relative motion back is still a skill, but it's just a different way of thinking of it. Okay. The reason they can't access this skill is not necessarily because they can't understand it and, and have awareness around it. It's actually that they can't let go of that concentric orientation to actually allow themselves to get into it so that's a slightly different thing so in general athletes will pick up the skill but they might be a little bit more limited in certain movements so they'll pick it up much quicker other people will not pick it up as much as quickly but i was trying to get this point across as well so obviously like we're progressing up through the through the skills and we're getting back to like plyometrics dynamic movement change of direction and stuff like that I don't, I also, even though I'm saying I'm layering the skills, I'm also not afraid to throw them into a later skill while I'm still layering the other skills at the same time, because sometimes more dynamic movement can unlock some of these skills because actually you don't need to coach so much. 
So when you get into the dynamic movement, you shut your mouth. I had that with a client earlier on today as well, where there's we've we've gotten him back running for the first time in about three years. It's been a, a tricky time for him. It could be longer. Or I'm not sure exactly, but he's starting to run again. And actually, when he starts to run and move his body without thinking, how he learns his previous skills or the other skills that we're still working on that are really important for opening up range of motion and teaching him how to move um in the way that I want him to move or not the way I want him to move, but I, the way I think is really efficient for him to transition through the gate cycle. The running helps with that. And some clients actually have a little section in the, in the workshop where it's like, okay, for, for these type of clients, I will skip almost all of this and go straight to this stuff because they need to move without actually thinking of anything. They need to put full body movements together because they overthink things or they have so much concentric orientation, but they're so like they're very squeezed together. But you also know based on their background that they're very robust. So they might need a lot of dynamic movement to actually get their body moving in different ways. And that comes before the 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 again i don't want to say easier skills but maybe our lower level skills but like some of the less dynamic skills are more isolated skills which might involve just just the shin or something like that so they might need re- like the, the more dynamic movements to unlock some of the lower level skills so it's it's not necessarily just a progression or a step-by-step progression it is in the it is a lot of the time in the rehab process but it's not just that you have to be able to open your eyes and say actually there's skills up here that i can teach them and movements up here that i can teach them that will help the movements that i'm doing down here as well so how i progress someone is have they nailed the skills basically and then obviously strength is a factor as well which is like for example foam roller bridge i like people to be able to hit minimum of about 30 seconds on a single leg there it's not that i won't progress people on before they can do that it's just that i'll probably keep that movement in uh why uh, until they can do that okay so that's 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 important so i have like rough rough ideas of what i think they should do and then with the plyometrics i have i have a, a good one is like the eye test like can does it actually look tidy i don't need to know exactly what tidy means but like does it look coordinated and tidy when they actually do a movement and are they robust enough to do a good bit of volume before they move on so i don't have the perfect example because everyone will progress differently especially in rehab and in training but um i have rough sets and reps i have rough guidelines for around like if we're doing a drop jump i would like someone to do a double leg off this height before i maybe progress them onto a single leg on this height then when they can do a single leg on this height i'll progress them onto a single leg at 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 a higher height or whatever so that's how i progress someone through the plyometrics and then how i progress someone through the earlier skills is like does it look good and if it's good enough for me to progress on to the next one i will and i might bin the previous one and progress on to the next one or i might keep it in and um progress on to the next one at the same time so i hope that makes sense i know that podcast is maybe a little bit all over the place because i'm talking about a million different things and some of it might not make too much sense to you because i'm talking about things that i taught in the workshop but hopefully it makes enough sense for you to actually get value from it. So, um, so I think that's the end of today's podcast. And apart from that, just make sure you sign up to DJ Interactive. We've, I really cleaned that up a lot since I, since I came home. So 
cleaned up all the sections. So we actually have like a foundational classes section, um, a motor control section, which goes into muscular coordination and, and looking at different, um, joint movements and running stuff like that. Um, I have a squat section, which is not just like, it actually, it is talking about the biomechanics of squatting, different types of squat sessions that I might use with different types of people. Hinge session, hinge section, which is a lot about like how I actually coach the hinge, why I coach it, different videos of me coaching it with different clients, um, different progressions. And also Chris has a hinge class, which you should do if you want to transform how your hips move. Plyometric section, running, sprinting and change of direction section, a gait section. And then it breaks down into smaller sections. So foot and ankle knee section, hips, hips and pelvis, spine and rib cage, neck and jaw, and so on. So all the, in those sections, for example, let me open up, uh, running, sprinting and change of direction. So I have in there change of direction, co-contractions and freezing degrees of freedom. It's like a 15 minute video looking at change of direction that they had with an ACL client. What we're looking at, looking at the foot here with pivots in the grass, why that's important to keep the knee safe and a couple of exercises that we're, we're doing for that. Curved running only nine minutes long. If you don't know anything about curved running, um, watch it because you need to use it with your clients who are going back into field sports. Um, another video on acceleration mechanics, talking about shin drop, dorsiflexion and the foot contact where you're going to see the foot contact in acceleration. And again, it's not just like biomechanics. You'll actually see the acceleration and you'll hear me saying, okay, we use this for like eight reps or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Timing of flexions in sprinting. So um, the swing leg, backside mechanics, what we want to see there, knee flexion, hip flexion, when we want to see that happen, all of that stuff. Lee Taft has a guest lecture on his 180 series, um, which is really cool. I really think you should watch that. Graham Morris, um, on who, who I actually did. Oh, I did a podcast with Lee and Graham. So make sure you go and listen to them. Uh, Graham on high-speed running and sprinting for field sports. So like... If you're someone who works with athletes in, in field sports, like, I think you should know all of this stuff. I think it's really important. Graham's, Graham's video is amazing as well. Like within about 15 minutes or something, you can basically see a big, a huge chunk of his model around how he actually trains athletes to get back into sprinting and what he's looking for there. Like in 15 minutes, where could you get that? It's, it's, it's unreal. So, um, so yeah, I think if you work with athletes, you should know all that stuff. And if you work with clients and you don't ever get them back to higher level stuff, there's a reason why you don't get athletes or higher level clients. It's because you don't know this stuff. And if you don't know that stuff, you don't talk about that stuff, you're not comfortable and either your client leaves you before you get to that level because you're not actually pushing them towards that or you just never attract them clients in the first place. So if you want to work with people who actually get back into running and stuff, you need to know this stuff. I know I'm saying stuff a lot. You need to know this because that's how you attract them clients. And that's how you actually keep clients for longer because you're pushing them further and further and further in, in rehab and performance. Okay. So that's just the running, that's just the running, sprinting and change direction section. Then there's a plyo hinge, all that stuff. So that's DJ interactive. You can type that into your phone now. And, um, yeah, let me know, please. If you enjoyed this podcast, that would really be really, really good. Uh, I would really appreciate that because. If no one, if no one lets me know, then I'll have even more fear about it. So apart from that, um, hope everyone is well and, um, I'm going to talk to you soon. I'm going to try and do a party every week if I can. Okay. So thank you very much. Talk to you guys soon.